What has been learned from the furor surrounding drinks breaks being inserted into A-League's matches so that advertisements can be thrown to? Why does the Australian Professional Leagues believe that optimism should still be the defining feeling surrounding the A-League's future? What's the go with the Paramount Plus streaming service of the A-Leagues and why does it lack features such as a pause button? And when can we expect that to arrive? When can we expect reform of the A-League women's competitions or news on the A-League youth or any number of different endeavours being launched? My name is Joey Lynch and this is Beyond the Lead with APL Managing Director Danny Townsend. It's fair to say that the past few months haven't gone the way that the Australian Professional Leagues quite would have envisioned. Properly taking control of the uh, professional tier of Australian football from Football Australia ahead of the 2021-22 campaign, the collective body of A-League's clubs has seen their grandiose plans of revolutionising the way that the professional game is run in Australia dashed on the rocks of the Omicron wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. The organisation instead forced a scramble simply to deliver a full season in the face of mounting postponements and general chaos. Crowds, reflective of prevailing trends across most Australian sports, have remained stubbornly low as the season progressed and have not been helped by own goals surrounding drinks breaks being inserted into play of certain games to allow advertisements and lack of features on streaming partner Paramount+. Plus. All in all, it has led to a series of existential questions surrounding the direction of the A-Leagues under the APL, especially on the A-League women's side of the game, which is part of a broader push in women's sport for investment into fully professional setups. APL Managing Director Danny Townsend, however, believes that there remain significant reasons for optimism amongst fans of the game. With the APL now at the helm, the executive says that the long-term future of the game is secure despite the pandemic and that Work is in the pipeline across a whole-of-game approach to realise its full potential. In an extended, exclusive interview with Beyond the Lead, Townsend's covered a wide swathe of issues affecting the A-Leagues and what was to come, but first, I asked him what his organisation had learned from the furor that had greeted the Drinks Break saga and their eventual removal from games. I think it's, you know, teething problems happen in all relationships and, and you know, we're fortunate enough to have a free-to-air broadcast partner that comes with commercial um, consequences that we need, to, we need to follow through on. And I think it was a bit more around execution, which really let us down collectively. Um, you know, 10, having not done football for a long time, um, you know, APL running their own production for the first time. And I think when we look at the opportunities to insert TVCs into, into play... Yeah, you really want to look at natural um, uses rather than premeditated ones. I think that was really the lesson. There's probably more attention made to you know, understanding the the premeditated nature of, of inserting ads is, is not acceptable to football fans. So um, you, know, you live and learn, and, and the good thing is I think you get judged on how quickly you react to things, and I think within you know, a week or so of that moment out at Jubilee, which I was there for and frustrated like any other fan, um, yeah, 10 were, were quick enough to act on it, and we're, we're happy they did. 
Was this something you were made aware of during the negotiating process or after you'd signed the broadcasting agreement, 10 informed you that they were going to be inserting ads live during games? No, we knew there was always going to be a requirement for ads, but at the time the conversation was all about inserting them into moments of play where the play had stopped, you know, whether that was to goals, injuries, certain natural stoppages in play uh, that would enable us to get an ad away. Um, yeah, the drinks break naturally would be a, a good place to do that, when it's 32 degrees and, and they're required, not, not when it's 20 degrees and, and raining. And I think that was, that was where, where we got caught out. And just moving forward now, it feels like there's a layer of pessimism and maybe even a layer of disillusionment amongst the game's core group of fans at the moment, the ones that are still there mm. and have been with the league through thick and thin. I'll ask you about the reasons why you think there's reasons for optimism mm-hmm. um, moving forward in a little bit. But first, I'd be interested to hear from you as to why you and the APL thinks that these emotions, this dissolute sense of disillusionment is out there at the moment. Well, I think it's interesting, right? We've gone through a global pandemic and the peak of Omicron was in January, what, six weeks into our our first season in charge. So the adversity that we've had to go through with fixturing and, and, and whether it be postponing games, whether it be playing games at, at, at awkward times, playing midweek, it, these things are not easy for anyone. They're not easy for players, they're not easy for fans, they're not great for crowds. You know, the society's not really willing to come out week in, week out to support um, live events through that period. So I think it's sort of a bunch of different things all happening at the one time that naturally get people feeling down about things. And I think as we, we move out of this phase, as we get out of a, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic and into some more normal cadence of being able to predict how our schedule will play out between now and the end of the season, and really having a great final series is really what we're focused on. Because I think once we get through that, end with a bit of a bang, reset and, and take the off season to really redefine what we do into the future. So do you think it's mostly down to COVID? I mean, you mentioned growing pains before in the broadcast thing. Do you reckon there's anything in the APL that you've maybe tried something and you think it hasn't worked, or do you reckon it's all down to COVID? Oh, it's not all down to COVID. I think, it, like I said, there's lots of little things. Like the VAR incident the other night, not helpful. You know, the, the drinks thing, not helpful. There's a bunch of things that, that I think if they were happening in isolation and, and we weren't in a COVID environment, yeah, the resilience of the game would be able to handle it. The, but the game isn't resilient enough to handle global pandemics, you know, things like that that are happening that are affecting the engagement of our fans. And, you know, our focus is really on being able to sustain our way through it. And I think the game has always lurched from crisis to crisis over the years. And we've our lack of financial sustainability and strength has meant that we've had to be quite vulnerable in these type of circumstances. We're fortunate right now is that we've got time. We can hold our breath, we can work through these challenges and we can stick to our strategy. You know, we need to demonstrate conviction right now because in, in previous years, um, I'd hate to think where we might be having to deal with these, these external factors at the moment. Well, you just talked about sustainability then. What is the health of the APL and the A-Leagues at the moment going through all of this? Are you burning through your reserves or do you think you're in a pretty good position? No, I wouldn't say we're burning through reserves. Um, we're certainly not not flush with cash like like anyone is in in any business at the moment. Whether you're whether you're a um, football or, or big bash or any other sport, they're all hurting and they have been for years. And that's part of the problem. This isn't a six week problem or a two month problem. This has been our third year of a COVID impact, and you know, we've got six or five or six of our clubs playing out of their home stadiums. One playing out of their country, one playing out of their home state. So, you know, you're going to be challenged by that. It's going to it's going to frustrate 
great fans. It's going to hurt your metrics. Um, it's going to hurt your finances. And I think that's just natural. And we're dealing with it. And the good thing is we've got the financial strength to sustain it. Um, and like I said, I, I think if this had happened prior to the unbundling, I'd, I'd sort of have grave fears for, for the league. In terms of the fans that have dropped off this season, we've seen the average attendances. Mm. I think even victory after their Mariners game are now averaging under 10,000 yeah. this season. What's the APL's plan to immediately win back those fans that were there at the start of the season um, and now aren't there? I think it's you know, you, this is where COVID has an impact. At the start of the season, we, we were all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. We're out of COVID. Everything's going great. And, and all of a sudden, we hit Omicron. And you know, waves of the population get COVID over that December, January period, which traditionally for us is where we get real momentum. You're in the school holidays. The summer of football's there. You know, people aren't going to work, so they're attending football matches. And we never got that opportunity this year. Our, our matches were either behind closed doors or suppressed through the fact that people just couldn't attend. So I think that's that's largely the challenge. And, and how we get them back over the next sort of two months leading into finals is going to be important. But equally, we, we, I think rugby league and AFL starting is going to be helpful for us because people, I think, will attend tentpole events, major events that come to town once every blue moon, people are going to. The habits that have changed over the course of the last three years are what we need to bring back. And, and what fans love is certainty. They want to know the 13 home games that their team's playing. They want to put them in their diary at the start of the season and they organise their lives around them. At the moment, we, we can't tell teams what they're doing in two weeks, let alone two months. So those things are all factors in, 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 in where we're at. But no, you know, they're, they're not excuses. We've got to get on with it and do a better job. So in terms of strategies over the next month, obviously finals coming in, you'll be hoping for more... Uh, as the Omicron waves peak, especially in New South Wales and Victoria, yep. you'll get some more um, certainty surrounding the fixtures. And you've also got programs like the $20 general admission tickets. This year, I see the Sydney Derby, Wanderers mm-hmm. are selling tickets for 10 bucks um, now at the moment. Can we expect to see more specials and uh, you know one-offs like that moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Like we, We've got to bring fans back, and, and we've got to do that by rewarding them. You know, those that st- stuck by us and those that have walked away, we've got to try and entice them back. And, and prices is always a, a sticking point for some individuals. So, look, it won't be just about price. It's got to be about the whole experience. And they're the things that we're looking into. It's about marketing and, and promoting the game and ensuring people know when games are on. It's really hard when you're moving games around to keep people informed on when kickoff times are, what day they're playing. It's a constant battle at the moment to communicate those things. Um, but that should become easier as, as we start to get more certainty around the fixturing and, and obviously as we get into the final series that's going to be pretty rusted on throw in also the asian champions league you know, that's another complication that we're dealing with because it takes one possibly two even three teams out of the back end of april um, so we're also having to deal with that challenge another major part about what drives both um in-person attendances and people to tune in is active support that wall of noise yeah um we've seen recently i think an incident at sydney fc's a-league women's side where <laughs> heavy-handed security i think Melbourne Victory uh, A-League men's sides recently have seen an increase in security. How are you finding uh, the APL's relationship with ground security, with local police um, moving ahead? It felt like it was really good at the start of the season, Mm. but 
maybe there's been a little bit of backsliding on the part of the security and the local police? Yeah, I think they're all different, right? You, what you deal with, take Sydney, for example, when you deal with a local command in the south of Sydney compared to the west or the north, they're all different. So they all behave and react differently to certain things. Vic Pol's the same. You know, they, they, they look at different circumstances and, and react differently. But I think in the main, the relationship's good. You know, we work through challenges. We're always going to have challenges. Every sport does. There's been a heightened probably focus on football, which we don't like. And, and our, our role at APL and our position on it is we've got to back our fans. At the end of the day, that's what creates the unique atmosphere in football. And Australian football needs active support thriving. When you see the North Terrace back in it at the victory, you know, I was at the, the Big Blue and it was, you know, the, your hair was standing on the back of your neck. Like it was, it was back. And I think those things we need to really get behind support and make sure, um, you know, their ability to do what they do is not compromised. I mentioned before I'd ask you about reasons the APL sees for optimism from the fans. I mean, you might have touched on them already, but what do you think those reasons are? I think, yeah, you know, sustainability. Like, we're in a situation now where there shouldn't be any concern around the game going forward. You know, we've got, you know, we went gone through the world publicised capital raise with Silver Lake. We're, we're well capitalised. Um, we're here for the long haul and we're going to build and we're not going to turn a game around that's been there 16 years, probably in a suppression mode for the last four or five. We're not going to turn that around in three months. You know, we, we, we've got to remind ourselves we're 12 weeks into a season that's been heavily ravaged by, by COVID and other things that, that probably possibly were part of our own doing. And I think it's going to take time to turn that around. And I think the, the fans should be confident that their clubs are going to be here for the long term. Our, our league's going to be here for the long term. It's going to grow. We're investing in it. Um, and, and that should give them excitement that the future's bright. Do you reckon there could be more done on the part of the APL and clubs to help bring fans along on that journey so they know, like they've been told what the destination is, to bring them along on the journey so they know how we're going to get there? Yeah, I think so. We're going to communicate a bit better there. Like I think we've, you know, we've we've been communicating our strategy to a lot of stakeholders internally um, to get buy-in from our broadcaster, our, you know, our, our private equity partner, our sponsors, all those things. But I think we'd probably do a better job talking about our strategy to our fans and having them really understand where we're spending the money that we've raised where we're, we're building the future and you know keep up as a, as a digital platform has been a big investment but it was a, it's been a six-month build so the MVP the minimum viable product that we've launched is bare bones at the moment but fans have got to know that it's probably about 15 percent 20 percent of where it's going to get to we've got an investment pipeline and product roadmap for that that's going to be amazing and deliver a huge amount of utility to fans so what it is today is not what it's going to be. And I think there's some, you know, a lot of innuendo about, oh, keep ups this or it's that. It's beginning. It's right. It's, it's a ground zero and there's a lot more work to be done on that. But that's just one part of the strategy. And I think you're right. As we, we move through the next couple of months, you'll start to see us be a bit more transparent uh, in the public around what that strategy is and how it's going to benefit the fan. Well, I was going to ask you about the short to medium term, but I might start with keep up first mm-hmm. since you've brought it up. Keep up, as you've said now, it's at 10 to 15 percent. You see um, some complaints in the public about the interface, they can't find the fixtures, yeah. they're not sure. Is it an Australian site? Is it a world site? What are you promoting? What mm-hmm. this, that, and the other? In the short to medium term, what can we expect to see implemented at keep up? Yeah, keep up's 
yeah, it's, it's a, whenever you build a digital platform like this with a huge data infrastructure, it's like an iceberg. What, what the fan sees is the tip of the iceberg. What, what, where its utility is to football is under under the surface. The data infrastructure that the clubs are all going to tap into over time, they haven't even onboarded that yet because they haven't had the opportunity to do it because the season had started. So there's a huge amount of personalised benefit fans will get out of it when the clubs tap into the infrastructure that we built. That really won't kick in until next season. It's there already, it's built, it's ready to go, but it's not fan-facing at the moment because the clubs need to engage with it, and they're they're doing so, but they're busy trying to execute their season with COVID and moving fixtures and all that sort of thing. So... It will, it will get there. But there'll be other things that we're putting into it, like engagement tools, like fantasy. You know, we, we've got a lot, a lot of work we're doing around the community space now. We interface with, with grassroots football through it. There are a huge amount of things on the product roadmap that the fans will, will, will benefit from, and the football community will benefit from. We really see it as the future fulcrum of, of the digital experience for football people in Australia. I remember before it launched, you were talking about as it a spiritual successor to the world game, obviously mm. the world game closing. Yeah, and it has left a significant um, hole as like a widely respected nationwide but specialist football publication in this country. Yeah. Of course, the world game, also the likes of Les Murray, Les Murray and um, Johnny Warren and in Craig Foster in later years, they also put a few noses out of joint with yeah. some of their um, opinions which easy to do when you're a public broadcaster, but Keep Up is being funded by the APL. Mm. Can that sort of speaking, um, challenging authority exist on an APL-funded platform? 100%. I think what hopefully you've seen this week, particularly as it relates to the VR controversy, mm. we're going to face up to challenges, right? Mm. Our, our game needs to own its its moments, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. And you know, I, I speak to the guys, Rich Bayless and his content team all the time, and I get phone calls from club CEOs who don't like what they read on Keep Up, and I say that's tough. Like it's an independent broadca- um, publication, and we've got to be able to face those things up at a, as a league. But clubs have got to be willing to 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 be challenged, and Keep Up's got to do that. If it's going to be taken seriously, it's got to be authentic. And and I think you know, as long as we maintain that commitment, then I think it'll thrive. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the short to medium term, obviously you've talked a lot about consolidation, um, which is important, but for the fans it's also not a very sexy thing. It's mm. not something they can get excited about. In the short to medium term, can we expect any more reforms that you're working on, any processes that are going to be introduced, anything like that? New promotional things, yeah, just yeah. something for the fans to get excited yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're working on a really interesting proposition coming into final series, which I think is going to be... Yeah, a real innovation for football. It's not mm-hmm. something we've done before in Australia. I, I can't go into too much more detail there, but it, it's it's going to really drive um, you know habit. You know, I think one of the things that we want to really get into is you know the family rituals. What yeah, you look at things like the FA Cup final in the UK. It's 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 in everyone's diary. It's the road to Wembley every year. We want to create experiences like that. But I think ultimately for us, you know, we've, we're I said right at the start of this journey. We've got. A long-term plan for this game and and I think with as you'll see month in month out we'll start to do things differently and we'll start to roll out new things some of them will succeed some will fail um, you know, we'll, we'll own our failures but we'll drive our successes and I think as we as we amalgamate the approaches across clubs all club fans will start to see best practice implemented at their clubs and I think that's a really important part when we were 12 competitive clubs no one shared success what, what we're about is really building best practice at the centre, ensuring that we learn from the clubs that are doing things really well, but disseminate that best practice to the club so the fans of each club get a better experience in their own environment as well as as a league. Just taking a step back and looking at the APL more holistically, mm. I wanted to ask you, what 
is the APL's mission? Because I know in my uh, work with Canteen Australia, our mission statement, uh, core mission statement, it, we're in that we want to be in the corner of every uh, young person living with cancer. That one sentence mm. summarises what we want to achieve as an organisation. What's the APL's one sentence? Like, what is your mission? I think it's you've got to divide APL into different areas, right? So APL, I see as a, a football economy investment vehicle, right? We're going to be investing in things that are going to drive a better experience for football fans, whether that be through the A-League, whether that be through keep-up, or that be other areas of the football economy where our, our fans are, are playing, whether that be the community, whether that be the elite space. We've got to contribute at every level. Um, and there's this this myth out there that APL is sitting, you know, looking after itself at the top. That's that's not true. You know, our focus is on unification. We want to work with all the different stakeholders in the game because we genuinely see ourselves as a contributor to the football community and the football economy with that. So, I think you've got to. I see APL as having different mission to say the A leagues and having a different mission to to keep up because we look at them as different business units. They they coexist and they co-depend on each other, but it's all about putting a better experience. A football experience for, for the customer and ultimately our customers, our fans, our participants, our volunteers, our coaches, our administrators, or anyone that has an involvement in the game, we want to bring value to. And that's what APL strategy is all about. And in terms of A-League, I'll start with the A-League men competition one first. What is the vision for the A-League men competition? What do does do you and what do the, do you does the APL want the A League men to be? Do we want to be the best league in Asia? Do we want to be a selling league? Do we want to be a developmental league? Do we want to be one of the best leagues in the world? I mean, what is the vision for the A League men competition? The the Isuzu A League men competition is about being. Sorry, no, I missed. Thank you, mate. That's all right. No, is is about being the number one men's competition in Australia of any code by 2030. That's what we've set a task out, right? We, we've, we believe we can get there. Our game's got so many strengths. Our professional game has never taken advantage of those historically. Other codes would give anything for the foundational strengths that we have. We just never capitalise on them. We've given ourselves to 2030 to do that. We want to make Our goal is to, to speed that up, but we genuinely believe we can get there by then. So that's the goal domestically, but we also want to be a respected league around the world. And that means servicing and, and working with the FA around having successful national teams because if your national teams are successful at all levels, youth and senior level, then your players are more respected. The, the league that, that those players are playing in is more respected. So you know, we want to perform in, in the Asian Champions League. We want our clubs to be, be there competing for that championship every year. We haven't done that. You know, with, with respect to the Wanderers and a great performance by Adelaide in one season, the rest of the teams have struggled over many years and, and that's not good for our domestic league on the Asian stage. So we've got all sorts of ambition for it at different levels, but you know, we've also just got to be pragmatic. We want to be the best we can be now and I think if we keep focused on being the best we can be year in, year out, we'll naturally get there because the game has that underlying foundational strength. It's a, it's a huge game here domestically, but it's the world game and that's what other codes in this country just, just can never attain. Mm. You talk about becoming the biggest um, competition in Australia by 2030, and I imagine that involves tapping into the 1.9 million participants that the game has here in Australia, obviously a sizable majority of whom aren't currently um, engaging with the A-Leagues. How do you... How, how do you tap into them? Because obviously people have been trying to do that for yeah. decades and decades and decades and nothing seems to have stuck. Yeah. How, how do you make it stick in 
eight years. Yeah, so there's two real parts to that strategy. It's, it's connectivity, right? So if you think about Keep Up and why we built Keep Up is to build a digital destination for the future. And our strength is under 34. We're the number one sport in the country for under 34. Our large participation base is largely under 34. So if we can deliver in a, to a demographic that is very much digital first, then we have a chance of, of connecting to them. The other piece is adjacency, right? So for many years, we've, we've stepped away from other football leagues around the world and, and, and almost been ashamed of, of, of attempting to compete with them. We're not as technical, we're not as, we're not as high quality as the Premier League or the La Liga, but what we have is 8 million football fans in Australia. We have about 2.5 million of them that identify as A-League fans. So we've got, whatever the math is there, yeah, we've got 6.5 million, or 5.5 million, I should say, who are fans of football but not fans of the A-League. They, they could be players, they could just be, be fans. We've got to find a better way of connecting with them, and that's part of the reason why we've, we've made a keep-up a football platform, not an A-League's platform. I think possibly where we need to move back towards the A-League is probably being a little bit more upfront with the A-League in that environment. And that's as we as we learn and roll out Keep Up, I think you'll start to see a little bit more A-League focus on Keep Up. But that adjacency bit is really important because that's where we convert the Arsenal fan, the Real Madrid fan to, to a Sydney or a Brisbane fan. And that's that's going to be key to the strategy. I, I do want to ask about A-League women, the same question for A-League women in a second, but I want to follow up something you said there about quality. Now, in terms of the actual quality of the football, ostensibly, it's the core of absolutely everything 100%. we do. It's, but also, the football is something that you can't legislate. By attempting to legislate how coaches coach or players play, you remove what the magic of football is, and at that point, it just becomes the E-League. We, um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so how, can the, how does the APL, how does the A-Leagues, how do the clubs improve the quality on the pitch to an extent where we can be competing. I imagine the first targets would be the J League and the K League, and then would be starting to compete with European leagues and also compete for eyeballs with the NRL and AFL by 2030. Yeah, I think the difference is, is the governance structure that we have, right? So if you think about what we were, we were 12 disparate teams with, with no real um, incentive to help each other out. We're all just doing our own thing. And therefore you had a bit of a difference between the, the haves and the have-nots. And that's been going on for many years in many leagues around the world. What's unique about our structure is we've got 12 clubs that own the APL. So APL's focus is on ensuring we have 12 strong, sustainable football clubs that are financially strong to enable them to reinvest in the on-field product. And you know, I very quickly, when I came in here, was like, there's no point us creating this amazing league office that's delivering a great league if you've got 12 clubs that are not financially sustainable and are not investing in the product, because the only way you have a strong league is 12 strong clubs. So that's a real focus of ours. And if we're able to, to invest in ensuring those clubs are in a sustainable financial environment, they're naturally gonna put that money back in. They're gonna be able to bring in and develop better players and your product will gradually improve over time. It's, you can't flick a switch on these things. We can't suddenly change from what we are today to, to where we wanna be in, in six months, a year, two years. It's gotta be gradual change. I think the product on the pitch has been excellent the last couple of years. Some of the games have been one of the most compelling games I've seen in Australia. Is it Premier League standard? Pop, absolutely not. Is it? You know, do they talk about the standard of the championship in Birmingham? No. In Birmingham, they care about how well Birmingham are playing in the league that they're in. What we need to focus on is is what's great about our league, create an identity for it, be proud of it, invest in it, and celebrate it. And I think that's something our game hasn't done before, and you'll see a lot more of that from APL. In terms of the quality of the football in the A-League men, 
uh, lots of people see the 2011, 2014, 2015 mm. period as the peak, yep. not just for the atmosphere and everything, but the football as well. Mm. Um, Wanderers coming into the competition, Raw Salona, there was a contrast of styles, yeah. lots of games. Where do you see the current quality of football in comparison to that perceived high point? I think it's interesting. You ask players that have sort of played through that period. We've got a couple of them at Sydney FC who I talk to, and I, I think they still believe that the standard is there. There's always going to be outliers in any generation of, of, of league you know we're only 16 years old so we haven't had generations of talent come through so we're really only a generation and a half old I think it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily good or better or worse I think there's games there that are massively entertaining we're seeing lots more goals I think now than we have ever before um, and we're seeing a lot of young talent because what we have now is I think six years of, of development in A-League academies that you know we didn't have back then it was really relying on NPL and, and foreigners to drive the league. We're now starting to see players who don't know their football education outside of the A-League club they've come through. You know, we've got players who joined you know, clubs at 12 years old who are now playing in the A-League and have been through that A-League education the entire time. That's only going to get better. So, you know, I think we had that little gap where, yeah, the AAS closed, the, the A-League um, academies weren't in play, the development cycle probably stalled for a bit. I think we're through that period now, and I think that's why you're seeing so many talented young players coming through, the lighting up the league. You look at Marco Tilio, the way he's playing, there's plenty of them. Um, so, yeah, I think the future's really bright, but I think that it's going to require continued investment and commitment from the clubs, and I think, again, our focus is on making sure they are financially stable and are able to invest as much as they can in the product. And in terms of the vision, again, this time for A-League women, obviously the landscape for women's football around the world is significantly different than it is for men's. Men's has had basically a 100-year head start on yep. the women's game. What's the vision for the A-League women competition? What does the A-League women competition want to be by, let's say, 2030, using a same metric for the men's? Yeah, I think, I think it's got to remain a top three league in the world. You know, I think a couple of years ago, the A-League women was absolutely that. You know, there was... You know, it was before Europe were really taking it seriously. The the the, um, the US and NWSL was was going well and probably considered the best league in the world. We were there thereabouts, and I think we probably slipped a bit, to be honest. And and, and that's largely due to Europe getting serious about it, and, and that was naturally always going to happen. Back then, you know, I sit on the Professional Women's Football Committee, and we we saw that coming. Like, and that was a train that was coming towards the station that we were never going to stop. But what we were able to do, I think, is to start to pivot and look at how do we take advantage of that real growing foundational strength that we've got here. You know, we are a sport that is uniquely gender agnostic and the growth of the women's game at the grassroots is unbelievable. You know, my, my two daughters have played their entire you know, lives and they're getting to an age where you, you know, that, that pool of talent is huge. When you look back five years... That, that cohort of players that was coming into the, the W League, as it was known then, was a far smaller group of group of girls. What's coming into 15, 16, 17-year-olds now, 18-year-olds into the A-League women programs are a much broader group of players that have had good coaching for 10, 15 years. We're going to see the benefit of that on the pitch. So we've got to invest behind that. And that is, like I said, about expansion. It's about extending the season. It's ensuring that the standards are better for them. You know, they're all part of the, the APL strategy and we're committed to it. On the subject of the home and away season and extension of the A-League women's season, which is obviously the big thing. Players want it, coaches want it. Yeah. Um, and, but I do. I was listening to you on the Ladies League podcast where you <laughs> said you um, couldn't. we didn't have a date yet. On the, is it possible that the APL could 
deliver a roadmap, something like that. If X happens, we do Y. If Y happens, we do Z. If Z happens, that's a full home and away season. Can yeah. that be communicated with the fans and public so they know this is when it will be coming if this happens? Yeah, no, exactly right. I think, again, coming back to transparency, we, we've got a plan that we've got to implement. It is not fully baked at the moment on, on, on the men's and the women's expansion and, and future scheduling and, and plans. So our focus was getting the first season away. As I said, we've had the keys to the car for a year, but we've really only had 12 weeks of the competition uh, under our under our guidance. And I think you know, our, our view is let's get through this season, let's build the, do the work. It requires work. It's, this is not as simple as saying, oh, we're going to go to home and away. Okay, what impact does that have on MPL? What impact does that have on, on players that want to go to the NWSL? We, we don't want to force players out of an environment they're currently comfortable in. And yeah, you know, but you have different different types of players. I talk about full time professional. What about the players that we have who are physiotherapists who got careers that they want to maintain? You're gonna you're gonna force them out of the game if you if you change those parameters. You can't change them quickly. You've got to give a roadmap. You've got to demonstrate what's happening. Give them time to organise their lives appropriately and organising their football careers appropriately. So we're working on that at the moment. And I've, and to your point, what we will do when it's ready, we'll make it very clear. And it will be a stage process that everyone can start to get behind. And and you know, like I said, expansion's not easy. You can't just say I mean, we did with Wellington. Give them you know a couple of months' notice. You're going to stand up a team. You know, it's no it's no surprise that Wellington are where they are in the ladder. They've done their best, but they threw a team together quickly. We don't want to do that. We want to make Make sure we can do things in a real measured and sustained manner. So just if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like maybe in the coming off season when you've got this season out of the way, you've crowned a new Premier, you've crowned a new champion, that's when we're going to start hearing from the APL about here's the roadmap to absolutely professional. Absolutely. We've got, to, we've got to take a breath. We've got to finish the season. It's been a complex season. We've had displaced teams. You know, the Perth women's team have been you know, really compromised. Mm-hmm. The Wellington team has been compromised. We, our focus this year is getting through it and making sure their welfare and all the things that they need is being looked after. Then we'll take a breath. The, the work's being done concurrently. It's not like we're not doing any of the work, but we'll start to really get into the weeds of it when the season ends and in the off-season we'll make some really clear uh, plans public. And on the subject of expansion, um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think it's official that the Mariners and Western are coming, Western United are coming in next season. I mean, that's the intention, yeah. but it's not official. And I, I can't speak for the Mariners, but I know Western are very keen Absolutely. to come in next season. Do we know when, do you have a target date in mind when you will announce, yep, it's official, Mariners in, Western's in, maybe just one of them are coming in and we'll know that for certain? Look, as soon as possible on those two, because to your point, yeah, we've, we've made it public that our intention is to bring them both in. That comes down to scheduling and windows. So we're working with the FA on the... Um, domestic match calendar because we need to understand what windows we've got to work in to register players so they can register for the A-League women and also be available to play in the NPL at the end of the season. So if you add two more teams, adds more games, stretches the season out. So we've got to get that work done with the FA first and once that's done, we can then start to put some real concrete plans around those two teams. Mm. Casting our eyes further afield, I did want to ask you, obviously the APL throughout this entire process, even before you were handed the keys to the car, you've talked about learning from other leagues, and that's just not football leagues, Eurobasket, baseball, basketball, anything like that. I, I would be interested to hear from you, are there any leagues around the world in particular that at the moment you have identified as sort of role models for the A-leagues moving forward? I wouldn't say one particular. I think that you can never go and look at one league and go, let's just follow that, because they don't do everything well. You know, the, I think what you've got to find is every every 
department or pocket of your business. You've got to go and find best practice and implement it. So that's across a range of leagues. I think there are, if I was to pick one, you'd say the MLS is probably a similar situation to us, right? It's a it's a global game. It's football. It's, it's in a market that's highly competitive with other domestic sports that in their various fields are best in the world. You know, in the US, the MLB is the best baseball competition. The NBA is the best basketball competition in the world. The NFL is the only competition in the world. You know what I mean? And in Australia, we're the same. The AFL is the best AFL competition in the year because it's the only ones that play it. NRL is the best rugby league competition. So fans get used to seeing the best of the best. So you've got to be able to to learn from other markets where you know, a challenger brand or a challenger league in an environment that's highly competitive have found a way to succeed. What did they do? What did they do well? One, they got well capitalised. That's what we've done. They're also looking at their their geographies of where their franchises need to be in order to connect with the the majority of, in that case, Americans. We're going to connect with the majority of Australians. How they engage with grassroots, how they engage with ethnic groups within their their country. There are a lot of learnings out of the the MLS. I don't think they've done everything perfectly well either, by the way. But I think if you ask about one, that's probably it. But I think in terms of innovation and best practice, we're pulling it from all the best leagues in the world. MLS... Its model has its fair share of critics, especially outside of the A-League space in yeah. Australia. What would you, how would you respond to those critics that would say MLS shuts out? Yeah, you're talking about game. governance, not, yeah. not I'm talking not, about okay, commercial so that, best practice. Okay. Yeah, in my mind, it's commercial so best practice. Separate in your Absol- okay. Absolutely. I think, you know, you can't compare governance structures in different countries because every country is unique. Okay. Their structure is unique. You know, we've got... We've got a really unique structure with, you know, member feds, the FA, associations in some states, no associations in others. Um, I think how we work together in the football pyramid is really going to really determine the success of our code. You know, and and like I said, I, I think there's this misconception there that the APL wants to operate in a, in a closed environment. It's absolutely not the case. We wouldn't have built a platform that was unilaterally serving football if we were only focused on our own our own league. And I, and I think, you know, that's why I've said publicly, we're, we're open to interfacing with the AFC and the FA around National Second Division and how that orientates with the A-League youth. Mm. Is there is there something in a combination there that we can work together with the National Second Division to, to integrate the young players to, to ensure that the talent pathways are there? We're up for those conversations. So I think... Um, yeah, I, I don't really compare the governance structures. I compare the commercial initiatives and the way they're able to grow their grow their league. And on the subject of America, I should um, you're partnered with Viacom CBS Paramount Plus, and I feel as though I should predicate this question with the acknowledgement that it is Viacom and Paramount that control Paramount Plus. Yeah. You can't implement changes on the platform; you can only request them. Yeah. However, obviously, you would be very well aware of the complaints surrounding Paramount Plus. Can't watch from the start can't pause, can't rewind. Yeah. It's basically YouTube has a better interface than Paramount Plus. When can we expect to see changes to that? Yeah, look, that's for them to answer that question, frankly. But I can tell you that they, they're, they're very mindful of it. Like, I think, okay. you know, when, when they stood up Paramount Plus to, to cater for live sports, if you think about what that platform was built for, it was built to deliver episodic entertainment platforms so to watch 1883 which has been enormously popular on that platform you don't need the live sport interaction on that but i think the difference is is that australian sports consumers have been sport by ko and optus which are great and and now stand sport that have got great user experience for live sport because they're built for live sport 
So Paramount Plus has got to adapt to that. They've got an absolute commitment to that. They know that where they're at right now is not where, where our expectations as a league and our fans' expectations are, are going to be met. So the time to get that done, probably harder when you're a global platform. And Australia, unfortunately, as part of a global business, is, is not often at the top of the tree. However, um, Australia is in high regard because the performance of Paramount Plus from an outside of sport perspective um, has been hugely successful for Viacom, CBS in Australia. So it does, um, it does start to have a bit of weight in those global uh, conversations. So th- there will be a lot of changes coming in time. And I think, you know, the point in time now is always the thing where people zero in on. And then when it gets fixed, they forget about what it was like. If you remember, Optus Sport missed, almost missed a World Cup because their functionality wasn't right. You know, Stan Sport in the early days was struggling with rugby. KO took a while to get all those functionality up. They took a long time to get a Samsung app and, and still don't have an LG app. So these things aren't simple, but as long as you know, our commitment to, to each other is, is to improve, and, and that's what they're committed to do. And also, going back now to the subject of A-League youth, youth development, ostensibly we talk about the product, you don't have a product unless clubs are developing the new generation of Australian talent that will fill your clubs, your clubs can sell overseas and make money, and they will fill the national teams that help promote your side. Obviously, NPL season starting around the country, which A-League sides um, enter their youth teams in, so the priority isn't very pressing now. But the uh, A-League Youth Competition, formerly known as the Y-League, formerly known as the National Youth League, widely derided because it was, well, towards the end of the day. Yeah, (laughs) it was quite frankly useless. It was an eight-game tournament. Correct. What's the APL's vision for the A-League Youth Competition, and when can we expect to see some details and data surrounding that? Yeah, again, I would say that will come at the end of this season. Um, To your point, with the NPL starting up again, and fingers crossed, we have a finally have a season for them that isn't COVID interrupted. But um, it, look, it's important that the the A League youth is is a focus in the off season for us to really land it again, starting at the, the the next season because I think it's it's been a maybe a two and a half year hiatus now. Which is to your point, when when it was in in play, it wasn't a, a competition that I think any of us really thought was was the type of competition that our our clubs wanted to participate in. And we've got to get that right now that we've got the opportunity to craft the structure of that league, how it interfaces with the A-League men itself, but also how it interfaces with the, the NPL. Um, and hence why conversations should be had with with the FA around how that also plugs into the National Second Division, because I think there's possibly an opportunity there. Well, that was going to be my um, next question, and I acknowledge that you, in your interview with um, Simon Hill and Alex Bross on SEN, you talked about how you wanted to have these conversations with Football Australia, but... Going into those conversations, would it be your desire to see A-League youth sides entered into the National Second Division? I think you've got to explore it, right? There's examples of that all over the world. You look at the Dutch system with you know, the Eredivisie 2, they've got all of the, the major clubs there fielding their, their second sides in that competition. They can't win it, they can't get promotion, all those things. But look, I think you know, you've got to have conversations. And we might determine after having those conversations that they need to be, be separate, and that's that's also fine. But I don't. I think with all these things, if, if you don't explore the options, then you might find you, you, you haven't found the right option when you when you choose the one you go with and you know look like i said it's it's their show at the end of the day the national second division is about how the mpl and the fa determine um you know those second tier clubs should be be surfaced and and we we applaud that we don't want to rain on their parade but if there's a role for us to play in there um then we're absolutely up for having that conversation 
On the subject of Football Australia, how's the APL's relationship with Football Australia? Because obviously I interviewed James Johnson on this podcast last week and he talked about, um, he expressed his frustrations surrounding the domestic transfer um, system. He didn't name names, but he said the top tier of the game. Um, how's the relation, uh, and the PFA, sorry, later came out and said that we haven't, consult- we haven't been consulted surrounding the domestic transfer system since early 2021, which the Football Australia later came out and said you were asked and you declined. So it's all very messy. Yeah. How's the APL's relationship with Football Look, Australia? Look, I think I, my position on all these things is megaphone diplomacy doesn't work. Okay. You, you, you've got to have stakeholder conversations respectfully behind closed doors. And when, and when you come out of that conversation, you come out united. And that's the way I like to do business. And I think, you know, James came out and said what he said, and that's his own prerogative. But look, James and I speak regularly. We, we have to be connected on things. And the domestic transfer system, I've said publicly, I, we're not necessarily against. We just need to know more detail. The, the devil is in the detail with these things. You, you Philosophically, no wonder everyone's going, yeah, bring in the DTS. But I've asked a lot of people about the detail, and very few people, if any, have been able to answer my questions. So we just need to get into a room and, and start throwing out scenarios. What if this happened? What if that happened? What would happen if we did this? What would happen if they do that? Work out the mechanics. If it all works, great. If it doesn't, find a way to fix them and make sure that what we bring in works. So do you think Australia needs a domestic transfer system uniquely Australian or is it simply a matter of adopting best practice from elsewhere? I don't know the answer to that, to be honest. I think you need to go through the, the detail and work it out. Look, we do have a unique system. We are a small country, right? We have a lot of football clubs at many different levels that you want to make sure thrive and, and you want the money to move around the football economy here in a fair and equitable way so everyone can can thrive. And, and I think if that means we need our own system, fine. If that means we can adopt one that works for another country that can apply here, even better. Um, but I think that work needs to be done. And, and going back to your question around consultation, we haven't had that yet into the into the weeds yet, and we're willing to have it. And I've, I've told James that, and, and we're going to meet next week and have a conversation. On the subject of conversations, I would be remiss of me if not to note Mike Charlesworth gave an interview to the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age today. I'm sure you've seen it um, as well. Just said, bring it in. He also said, scrap the cap, um, which I thought is... Is Mike Charlesworth speaking for himself there, or is the APL seriously discussing the salary cap? Because we know the position of the PFA on the salary cap. Yeah. FA. I can, to be let me stop you there. I can yeah. tell you categorically that's Mike Charlesworth speaking about about okay. Mike Charlesworth. And look, people are entitled to their own opinions as well. Just because we're the APL and we've got twelve clubs and we all share in our own success and failures, they're still individuals, and, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, I disagree with it entirely in terms of the way he's, he's voiced it, and, and and I think, you know, it would be probably easier for us if we were more co- collected in, in how we speak about those things. But look, Mike's got his own reasons for saying what he says, and he's entitled to say it, and that's fine. But it's not def- certainly not the APL's view. Maybe one final question from me, um, Danny, because I've got to go to cover a game and know you're a very busy fella as well. But the salary cap. Yeah. Do you ever foresee an A-League men competition and an A-League women competition, maybe, I don't know, that doesn't have a salary cap? Yeah, I think I do. I, I, I can't tell you when that is because I think when it is, it means we've probably arrived, you know, in the sense that we, we don't need to, to regulate our way to financial security because really that's what this is about it's about building a league that enables us to all live within our means and and it's and it's served us well does it serve us forever probably not and i think as you've seen over the years the last cba we've done which is a great experience with the pfa it's a five-year deal 
what they've genuinely recognised where the game was at. We're an inflection point coming through COVID. The players identified they needed to play their role. They committed to a five-year CBA, but what we've got for the first time is ratchets in that CBA around performance, financial performance of the leagues and the clubs. The better we perform, the more money the players make. And, and that's, that's the first time we've done that. And I think as we start to bring in more flexibility to the cap, you know, with the, the, um, the marquee players, and then we've got the designated players we've brought in, as you start to peel it back, I think you can probably see that we're starting to gradually release the constraints of the cap to give more freedom to clubs to do things differently and have players earn more money if, if they're good enough. And, and I think that's ultimately, you know, one day, whatever that day will be, will lead to, yeah, a, a cap-free environment. One day, not just a midfielder in the A-League men competition, but also something to look forward to in the future. Well, Danny Townsend, Managing Director of the APL, thank you very much for joining us on ESPN and giving up quite a lot of your time this afternoon, this evening. Pleasure, Joey. Thanks for having me on, mate. So, obviously, a lot of plans in motion for Australian football fans to look forward to, as well as to hold the APL to account for over their delivery. And you can keep track of that progress, and Australian football more generally, at ESPN.com.au and its various international equivalents. Myself, Ante Jukic, Stephanie Brands, and Marissa Lordanik, amongst those that will be bringing you all the news and views of the game down under. But for now, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the Lead, this time for a conversation between myself and APL Managing Director, Danny Townsend. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode, every other episode of Beyond the Lead, and all of ESPN's collection of podcasts and audio goodness wherever you do so happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead, or any of those other podcasts, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. Thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be tuning in, and do not fret, as I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into the world of sports as ESPN takes you a Beyond the Lead very soon.